Hello and welcome to Australian Gothic and welcome to our first ever Halloween spooktacular special. Uh, Josie, how are you? Feeling, feeling a little sus, a little spooky. <laughs> Some bad vibes this month, but that's all right. Very seasonal. How are you? <laughs> good, good. Uh, yeah, um, this is the, the first Australian Gothic we are recording on the editing computer that I built myself. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. PC Parts Picker is amazing because I was just like, boy, I sure hope all these bits... Uh, work together and that I'm not like breaking them by like putting screws into them yeah it only had trouble booting once or twice uh that was kind of mm-hmm. scary I was like oh no did I like waste two grand but uh but no this thing is a fucking beast it edits videos so quickly uh video games look so good on it sadly I have been playing a lot more video games as a result so yeah I was gonna say that doesn't sound like editing <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I was just like, look, uh, you know, it's going to be good for editing, so it'll probably also be pretty good at video games. And uh, yeah, I've mostly been well. mostly been going back and like playing stuff from six years ago that I really liked and, uh, you know, just playing it like the highest quality and just being like, oh, like, yeah, yeah, it's been really cool. Yeah, that's how I feel when I play Skyrim, like on our most recent PC, I open Skyrim and I'm like, this is so smooth, I can't believe it. <laughs> Uh, other than that, uh, yeah, we had a really nice weekend. Uh, and uh, since it's Halloween, uh, Josie, have you watched the new Hellraiser? No, I haven't. Despite having lead Cenobite tattooed on me, I have not watched. I haven't watched Hellraiser in years, like any of them in years. Okay, well, uh, the fact that you call him lead Cenobite is really is really telling. I I go to Pinhead. Yeah. My wife and I watched it on Sunday night and uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised. It was very good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good to know because I think Clive Barker, is he involved in this one? Yeah, he was one of the producers and uh, seemed genuinely excited about it. That was kind of, you know, another sign that like, oh, okay. Like I remember when they made like all those, you know, it was like the eighth Hellraiser movie and Clive <clears> Barker <throat> was just like, I didn't even know about this. What the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm not gonna lie, that some of the other like non Clive Barker ones I think are pretty fun just in their own campy way. But yeah, I, I definitely should make time to watch that one. I was very pleasantly surprised uh by the restraint of it. Uh yeah, I don't wanna give away spoilers or anything like that. Uh Okay. Everyone agrees that like the first two Hellraiser movies are really good and you can tell that they were like, Hey, we have all this lore we can use from the first two Hellraiser movies and uh, they do an admirable job of like trying new stuff but you know mm-hmm. paying homage to like all the stuff we knew from those movies And uh, but they don't go too over the top and uh, Jamie Clayton is really good as the priest or you know as Pinhead basically. Yeah yeah uh, cool yeah I'm not I'm not one of those like weird pedants that's like well actually it's lead Cenobite <laughs> like it's okay. <laughs> Well, the main, the main thing is just like, the main thing I've noticed is like weird psycho reactionary types being like, oh, they cast a woman as Pinhead and everyone just being like, hey, dickhead in the book, Pinhead, you know, the lead Cenobite, you know, the one mm-hmm. with like pins in its face is explicitly described as androgynous and also like, yes. they're so, they're so fucked and cut up looking anyway that like, what does it matter? But it's just been fascinating seeing these dudes just get laughed out. It's just like, don't, lol, fuck off. Oh, Yeah. Like when it was first announced, I occasionally still get like likes on this tweet in response. I'm like, no, don't make this extra dimensional fucking demon a woman. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's, you could do what you want. It's kind of like the Doctor Who thing. It's like, this is a sort of, like, this is some weird guy that it doesn't have to be a guy. 
it's okay. How do you kill a vampire? However the fuck you want. It's it's fantasy. Vampires mm-hmm. aren't real. Cenobites aren't real. <laughs> and uh, look, I had a lot of fun watching Hellraiser. It finished. My wife was like, oh, that was gross. And I was like, I loved it. I had so much fun. I, I clapped. I hooted. You know, I didn't actually clap. Yes. But the point is, like, when it finished, it was a very good horror movie. But when it finished, like, I was fine. I took my dogs outside to pee, turned all my lights off, went to bed, walked around my, like, dark house. That was not the case when we finished watching Lake Mungo, which is what we're discussing today. Mm. The 2008 uh, Australian horror movie, I say tentatively. Yeah. I have feelings about that. Lake Mungo. Because when that movie finished, my wife was like, oh, that was really good. I'm going to go have a shower. Can you, can you, like, you know you know, power the house down. So I took the dogs outside and my dogs, our backyard, we have a spooky dark terrace uh, with no lights and a spooky side of the house with no lights. And sometimes my dogs like to like run down there because they thought they've seen a possum. And I was just like, no, no, you are staying here. We are not going on the spooky dark terrace. We're not going down the spooky side of the house. And uh, likewise, as I turned all the lights off that steadily led led to the bedroom, I was really like, ugh. Like, yeah, uh, uh, Yeah. Lake Mungo is legit very creepy. Yeah, fair enough. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are, because I'll I'll obviously give my opinion throughout this episode, but you haven't watched Twin Peaks, have you? No, no. And in fact, uh, no. I've I've just joined my mate's Plex server and and it was one of like the first thumbnails of like recommended for you. It's just like okay okay I'll watch Twin Peaks at some point. But uh yeah even before I realized that like the last name of the family Palmer is an ex- is an explicit Twin Peaks reference. Uh, it occurred to me like ah oh, this is very Twin Peaksy. Yeah to the point where I got like it sort of took me out of the movie. Oh okay. Yeah it's a bit on the nose in my opinion, but I do have overall. I wouldn't say good feelings, complex feelings about this film. Okay, okay. I, I agree as well. Like, I, I thought it was very good. I thought there was stuff that, you know, it's not a perfect movie. Um, The horror stuff and the exploration of grief are things that I really enjoyed as well. Yeah. So I guess uh, starting off, um, Lake Mungo is a, is a mockumentary. There are so many Google searches for, like, is Lake Mungo real? And uh, yes, <laughs> it is a, yes, it is a real place, but no, this movie is... There, there was no ghost of a teenage girl. Um, so the Palmer family... Just quickly, fam- Lake oh, Mungo, sorry, yeah. isn't that the place where, um, like, the oldest human fossil record is or something like that? I could be wrong. No, I think in my searches for Lake Mungo, because, uh, you know, we'll get to we'll get to Lake Mungo, the place itself, because like this movie made me want to go to Lake Mungo a little bit in spite of how scary it was. Huh. Yeah, I believe you might be right. I think there might be some archaeological like cool stuff there anyway i haven't looked into it yeah so lake mungo is uh, is shot documentary style so i know the director joel anderson firstly he did not really intend this to be a horror movie like in its entirety hmm. like he intended it to be an exploration of grief and you know what a death in the family does to not only the family but the community oh uh, the ghost stuff just ended up being like effectively scary as is that they just kind of like leaned into that. Huh. Uh, but he also he also wanted to explore uh, how we remember things through through digital media, through video, and mm. we get a lot of mixed formats. Like the very first scene is them at the dam where Alice Palmer, the teenager, well, Ali Palmer drowns. It's it's like a DV handycam footage being used by the brother who is like. A very techie like you know photo nerd kind of guy couldn't be me <laughs> the the interview segments are shot on like you know 
you know, have fairly professional lighting and stuff like that. But then a lot of this, a lot of the found footage aspects of it are all shot on like, you know, handy cam and phone cameras. And uh, look, I have to admit, it kind of stirred me a little bit to know that this movie is like 15 years old and the footage from that era is like noticeably old and like of its time. Mm-mm. Because I, I used to shoot on DV cameras and mini DV all the time. And, and I kind of forgot how it looked, like how, how kind of shitty it looked. Oh, right. Okay. Very much in its own way, similar to like, it's it blows my mind. And that and old cell phone footage like is so grainy and shitty. It almost has its own mm. VHS style look. And I know in the last few years, like, you know, people have really fallen in love with like how VHS looked and... So yeah, that blew my mind a little bit. But um, yeah, they're at the dam, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know, they're just they're just playing out in the water. But like, Ali disappears, and uh, immediately, like, you know, they start searching for her. And after a week, it's discovered that she has drowned. We get uh, the, the one the one other thing that like snapped me out of this documentary my wife and I even my wife even pointed this out is that they show the body Mm -hmm. and I know this is for us the audience to be like a scary scene of like oh my god look at this like scary waterlogged body my wife and I were both just like a documentary wouldn't show the corpse no but I think that's like one of the things that they're like oh this is very much Twin Peaks because one of the first things you see in Twin Peaks is Laura Palmer's waterlogged blue dead body on the bank you're right. That never even occurred to me. Huge Twin Peaks vibes. <sighs> yeah, no. and But like, you're totally right though. Like that doesn't make sense in like a documentary context. It is a fairly, it is staged as a very authentic documentary. And it's just like, oh, okay, a documentary wouldn't, wouldn't go that, wouldn't go this far. This would be unethical. They'd blur it at least, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the things I enjoyed at the start, I got kind of weird vibes from the family because like the father Russell is kind of like smiling during his interviews and during his recounts. Mm. He's just like, oh, I can't believe this kind of happened. And I was just like, that's sort of weird. This is meant to be like three years after his daughter died. Like, uh, but then I realized that like, okay, like grief manifests in all sorts of kinds of ways. And, totally. you know, as we see over the course of the film, like, this family is about to embark on some weird shit. So like, why wouldn't you be just like, oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Just like when you're saying that, that reminds me of like, so, you know, there's been deaths in our family recently and I'm different about it now, but definitely my son, I noticed he kept hiding his face. I was like, I recognize this hiding of the face. So he could not stop smiling. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I spoke to him one day because, like, he looked like he was forcing himself to look sad. And I was like, hey, I, do you get, ever get this weird thing when you hear really sad news, yet for some reason you can't help but, like, smile and laugh? And he's like, he looked up at me and he's like, yes, yes, I, I know exactly, like, that's what keeps happening. And I was like, oh, it's totally fine. Like, that is something that I used to do. You know, it's something I do, at least with laughing. Um... And I went home and looked it up and, you know, I mean, again, I know we're talking about a film here, but like just in terms of like how people respond to grief and and bad news and, you know, overwhelming feelings, there can be this involuntary smile and or laughing response because it's your body trying to regulate all these feelings and um, hormones and stuff going through your body. Anyway, I just, so you're totally right to be like, yeah, actually, it's weird, but 
also that is part of grief sometimes. Just as you were talking about it, it also reminded me that there is, as the movie progresses on, like Alice's body is found and the community is, you know, shattered and, you know, we see all the neighbours being like, oh, we, you know, we, are, we rushed in to try and support them. And Russell, can't, Russell the dad goes straight back to work. And one of his colleagues mm-hmm. is just like, huh, that was odd. We expected him to take more time off. His daughter just died. And that's, uh, you know, the whole family are kind of processing this in their own way. The mum is like, you know, noticeably more distraught than the others. At this point, we start to get all the really cool cinematography of Ararat. And uh, holy shit, does Ararat lend itself to a ghost story really well. I watched this years ago um, in 2020 during lockdown, a friend... Let me watch it on their Plex server. Um, and I, I, I didn't rewatch it for this one, but like I read like the synopsis and I um, read my initial reactions to that friend about this film and was thinking about it a lot. So I don't, unfortunately, I don't remember the shots. So can you describe what you liked in particular about them? Okay, well, sort of documentary style, there's a lot of there's a lot of scene setting shots of Ararat like at dawn or dusk. So, you know, to... Probably, you know, because they're like, we're telling a ghost story. We need it to be like a little bit eerie, uh, eerie, but pretty. Um, During the scene where June, the mum talks about she just couldn't be in the house. So she just started like just walking and walking at night, like not wanting to sleep because she kept seeing, you know, an apparition of her daughter at the foot of the bed. So she just like walk around at night and go into people's houses. And during the scene, it does like time-lapse photography of the house and there's quite a number of these sequences and they're very pretty and you can see sort of like, you know, streetlights flashing in the window. You know, this was obviously done over several hours, like the stars are moving. Yeah, it's it's very pretty. So yeah, we see, the, see that, you know, Russell is having this very sort of like, I'm just going to try and be normal. The mum is like really struggling. And uh, that's when the son, Matthew, starts to claim he is like seeing apparitions of Alice around the house. Mm-hmm chiefly he starts like noticing her in photos um actually so weirdly before this um the dad has has an encounter claims he has an encounter with a you know either like a dream where the ghost of alice attacks him or or he has just been attacked by alice he says he goes into the bedroom and she comes in and starts like screaming at him and telling him to get out and it's a it's a really it's a really creepy scene uh but again there is this uh aspect of like hey is this is this actually happening or is this like you know a you know a guy who is really struggling with his grief yeah yeah uh also around this time as well matt it's never really addressed um it's one of the problems with this film every now and then like things come up and then are just never really brought up again like that is my biggest criticism (laughs) yeah yeah including one really big one um matt very early on starts getting all these weird bruises yeah. It seems like it's gearing up that, like, ah, Matt has been attacked by a ghost, uh, but it just never comes up again. Like, ever. Like, not even, like, like, speculating who or what did it. It just doesn't. That's so fucking weird. I totally missed that. I read this as set up for, like, oh, no, shit's getting spooky here. But, like, yeah. no, just never brought up again. Never even, when we get to the point where they figure out why people are claiming to see all these visions of Alice, mm-hmm. there is some kind of explanation for that there is no explanation for matt's mystery bruises other than like eh, matt is just kind of a weird kid 
Because that I feel like that would have been the opportunity to either go one of two ways about what those bruises are, right? Like that would have been where I would put that. Sorry, listeners, we will get to that in a second, uh, a bit later about what we mean. <laughs> so, so things are starting to get a little bit weird. Like the neighbors are starting to be a bit concerned. You know, it's around about this point that the sightings of Alice start to escalate. They set up time-lapse cameras in the house at night. They claim to see Alice in a mirror or they see Alice walking into the lounge. And probably like one of the eeriest ones at the start is when Matt, as part of a, you know, photography exercise, takes a, takes a photo of his backyard every day for like a year. And in one of the photos, there is very clearly Alice. Ugh. Um, question. Was this before or after the first paranormal activity? Paranormal Activity 2007. Okay, Paranormal Activity came out one year before this. Okay, okay, interesting. So that had been, I mean, obviously found footage is not like a new thing at this point, but I feel like Paranormal Activity was like at least the first maybe bigger horror where they're like using in-house security cams for this purpose. Yeah, I don't know. No, no, that's a very good point because like these cameras are starting to become like more domestically available and, you know, this is the point when Mm -hmm. like cell phone you know mobile phone cameras are really starting to become common and you know like it's really it occurred to me after watching this movie that's only really been in the last eight or so years that mobile phone cameras have stopped being like you know started to be genuinely good enough that you'd be happy to show people video on your phone before that it was just like look at this video and it's just like yeah that looks shit (laughs) looks like big the the like you know the og bigfoot fucking you know quality um, before that. Yeah, it's cool. I, I haven't really thought about it much. I, I do like how ghost stories have shifted with technology, like how to try and capture that. That's cool. Mm. Also, I forgot to mention the movie starts with a bunch of spirit photography shots. There's like some voiceover and it's like f- some of the famous, I don't know the names of the photos or who did them, but like some of the famous shots of Spirit photography, which was famously a hoax, but like scared the shit out of a lot of people. But like from a camera work and, you know, cam- photo editing perspective were like revolutionary. Um, Basically what they do is they tell people like, hey, take a photo, which meant like standing very still for like, sometimes I think upwards of 10 minutes. And that's why everyone in photos, mm-hmm. like no one is smiling because like it's really hard to smile for like longer than a few minutes. Uh, that's why everyone looks really fucking stern (laughs) and then what they do is like after they took that photo they'd like do a double exposure but they'd get someone like covered in a bunch of sheets and stuff like that to make it look like oh look there's a ghost yeah yeah gotcha and it's in a way it's very clever because i look at it and maybe it's just because i work in you know photography and videography in a little bit it's just like ah i can see what they did by putting you know a sheet on this woman and, you know, shadowing her face, those black areas are going to be, like, see-through and it's just going to look very ghostly and eerie. So, like, there was some very cool stuff going on and we see Matt claims that there are, like, more photos of Alice and we find out that these are all fake and we find out he's Mm -hmm. doing them chiefly because his mum's behaviour is getting so erratic that he wants to make it seem like she's alive so that the family convinces the police to exhume Alice's body to prove that she's dead. Oh, uh, so the mum isn't is really not coping with the fact that Alice is dead. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's set up in the movie as well that like Russell, to protect June, cited Alice's horrible drowned body uh, in order to spare mm-hmm. his wife from seeing that. 
Yeah. So June is like starting to be like, oh, I never saw the body. I never saw the body. Sorry. Um, I'll just say like that is sometimes like genuinely a thing I, without IDing them. Um, some family friends a few years ago, the, her children's father uh, was found at a park. It's kind of up north a bit. And uh, he had been there probably for about a month in the park. And it turned out he died from um, what was probably like an overdose. And I think people had just thought he had been sleeping for so long. But because of, you know, some of his history and some of his past connections and having not seen the body, so like the family didn't ID the body and they had other ways of IDing this person, um, which I'll get to in a second. But this whole not seeing the body police didn't ask them to view it because it was so like you know it was exceptionally distressing like quite decomposed by this point um so but then they started being like well maybe he's not dead maybe he's in like witness protection or they started just being like well we don't actually know that he's dead luckily at the time i had a contact uh with someone a forensic officer at qps and um I was like, hey, like, you don't have to tell me any details or, like, here's the family's details, but am I right to assume that you were able to ID this person because of, like, fingerprint um, records that you already had on your system? And that was how they... And then, and she sent me back um, an email being like, I'm sure you understand, like, we don't want to cause undue stress on the family and we did have means of identifying this person so in this case that's not needed and then she was like here's like my number and like the case number if they have any more questions they can totally ask me but yeah when you don't view a body it is very easy i mean part of grief is magical thinking Mm. um sometimes um and yeah that makes total sense and i hadn't even picked up on i'll get to this later sorry i'm ranting a bit but like um (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about this movie obviously recently in preparation for this episode and I had very negative like I I felt like I barely remembered it I have very negative opinions on it but I'm reading back my messages between my friend and I the one who like recommended it to me in the first place and I understand that like my brain memory hold this for a reason um, because there's a lot of intense um themes and feelings that are brought up around grief in this film so yeah sorry to uh pause there but i thought that was a good opportunity to be like yeah this is actually a thing where sometimes people feel like they need that closure of seeing the body and sometimes they do but also sometimes it doesn't actually help that much yeah particularly if it's a body that's been like you know decomposing for some time like you know they mm-hmm. in the movie they're like very clearly like no we've done like you know dna testing this is absolutely alice mm-hmm. yeah they exhume the body at this point however uh oh by the way sorry we totally missed the introduction of ray that ray kemeny the psychic oh jesus yeah okay yeah okay because again like you've said the mum is you know starting to do magical thinking and starting to be like well okay maybe my daughter's probably not a ghost she's probably just alive and just like hiding and at this point she reaches out to a radio psychic called ray uh they start to connect the psychic actually becomes very close to the family they do seances and stuff ray is an interesting character because he 
he does not seem like a charlatan or he does not willingly seem like a charlatan. He's not like a sneering villain. He's just like, I don't know, I'm just trying to like help people. Like, you know, I'm not really sure how I can do this. Uh, He seems particularly drawn to this because he seems particularly convinced that there is actually like a haunting happening, as it were. Ha, yeah, right. And he does these like weird hypnosis sessions with June where like, you know, he June talks about like walking into the house and these sequences are... That's another thing I like about this movie. Um, And it reminds me of the Babadook a little bit. There is so much... There are no real jump scares, except for like maybe one or two mm-hmm. key moments. Uh, there is so much wind up though. Yes. And the whole movie, like during all of these sequences where like he's saying to June, like, close your eyes. Now, where are you going? She's like, I'm walking through the front door. And in documentary fashion, the camera work replicates walking through the front door. And... It's a house in Australia where I do love how they captured how Australian houses come up on camera because, like, without proper lighting outside, all the windows are just, like, fully white out, just blind, blinding light. Mm -hmm. And the inside is usually dank as shit, so it's really hard to make a house not look spooky. Yeah, yeah. And and it's just, like, this camera going down this hallway and you're just, I guess, by primed by years of horror movies to be, like, something's going to jump out. She's going to, like, see the fucking body again or some shit but it just doesn't happen and then instead of deflation it's just like you're still on edge because it's just like okay this is clearly building to something yeah no that's a good point and um also there are a lot like if i think if people enjoyed the babadook they might enjoy this film as well if they really liked that sort of building of tension and also just some of the themes explored as well the more i thought about the more i was just like okay this is almost this could almost be viewed as like a companion film to babadook both films are about grief both are very like slow burn horror movies like the babadook is a much better film in my opinion oh yeah (laughs) like this is a good film but like the babadook is on like its own fucking like tier so yeah, um, these these therapy scenes go on for a while. Um, Ray again is just like I I don't know what's going on, and the whole it was at this point that I remembered as a viewer because what alerted me to this movie I totally missed this movie when it came out in two thousand and eight, and there are part, probably reasons why I didn't see it in two thousand and eight because of the Australian film industry that I'll get into later. Oh okay. I I understood through like, you know, just recommendations and YouTube videos that like, this is one of those movies where the ghost is just like around. Oh, that's bad. I hate that. Oh, sorry. Even you just saying that is like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We're recording this podcast late at night. No, no, it's good. I love feeling like this. (laughs) Oh, I was going to, because it's a Halloween episode. I've got, I've got smart bulbs. I was going to make the lighting spooky. Uh, Sorry. I've just got my light on its normal setting. God damn. That's all right. We got a few... Halloween episodes to go. We can we can make it work. You're right. You're right. The way you put it, that sounds really creepy. I was like, okay, I'm keeping an eye out. I'm keeping an eye out. And sadly, it made me think about like how modern movies are a bit like a puzzle for you to solve. And I and eventually, I was just like, no, I don't care if I see the ghost. Fine, but I'm not gonna like yeah. scour the frame. Yeah. Ooh, is that a ghost? Ooh, is that a ghost? Is that a ghost? And fair enough. Yeah. At the end of the movie, they do like a scene being like, oh, there she was. Oh, there she was. Oh, there she was. Was she actually there just quickly? Yeah, yeah. They were like the, they, there's chiefly three scenes just before the credits start where it's like, it's the birthday party they have when like to show that like, oh, Ray is becoming close to the family. He's being invited over to like Matt's birthday. And you see like, oh, okay. They're in the hallway. There's Alice. And so you had already seen that earlier in the film. I missed all of these sightings. 
like on my on my first watch through. Yeah, yeah, because I I was hyper vigilant and I saw nothing. <laughs> yeah, there is like one of the earliest shots and one of the signs that like things are a little bit weird is a farmer takes a photo at the at it's either the Seine Dam or a dam near where Alice drowned, and he finds in the back of the frame a very blurry figure that looks almost exactly like Alice. Mm-hmm. And this later gets disproved as being Matt because another couple were at the dam the same day and they were like, hey, we're looking for our footage. There's the farmer and there's Matt. That wasn't Alice in the back of the frame. And it all comes out that all of the sightings of Alice we've seen so far have been set up by Matt as a way to like, in this like long-winded scheme to like try and get his mum closure. That's too much effort, my man. Yeah, And he goes to like, and that's where the the exploration of like, photo work comes into play because he then explains like okay here's how i did the garden photo it was like a double exposure i have a bunch of photos of alice this is like a photo of alice on a road i basically that's fucked up man without using photoshop like look the way his his technology is like really nifty as i was just like oh that's clever but like yeah that is still a lot of it's implied that matt and alice have a kind of weird relationship he's kind of a weird dude and she's like the popular cool kid yeah 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 I'm just thinking about, like, how fucking deranged that is to, like, I don't know, is it, like, reverse gaslighting? I don't know. To, like, tricking your fucking family into thinking there's ghosts? I know that it's supposed to be for, like, closure, but that's pretty fucked up, my dude. It's it's psychological abuse, isn't it? it like... It's not good. <laughs> that's all I, that's my take. Not good. Wouldn't recommend. But, uh, I guess grief makes people do weird things. Exactly, and I guess he is a teenager and, again, is implied to be a little bit fucking weird. So, you know, he reveals that, like, hey, the way I did the hallway scene is that I had video of Alice, you know, on the TV that I had positioned to, like, bounce into the mirror. So, and because the TV, you know, this was, like, VHS, it was already kind of, like, distorted and weird, reflected in the mirror, it looked, like, extra ghosty. Ugh, that's... He's given me the heebie-jeebies. (laughs) but it's at this point that we you know like you've said because i am aware of like twin peaks uh lauren palmer had secrets alice palmer also has secrets and that's where Mm -hmm. this admittedly clumsy reveal comes out because while they're going over this footage again and we see that there's a man in the house Mm -hmm. and it's a briefly scary scene you know it gets introduced that like oh those around that's brett tui our neighbor who we have not met up until this point. Oh, Brett Tui. Such an Australian name. For context for overseas li- listeners, I don't know if you have it, but Tui's is like also like a very common beer. But I mean, I'm sure that's there's also just that's someone's name, but like I always associate it with the beer, so that's funny. First I was just like, lol, Tui. And then my wife and I were just like, have we met these guys? Were they the... Was this the religious lady and her husband who we met earlier who were, like, trying to comfort June? Are we supposed to know them? Yeah, like, they these characters are introduced and it's established that they've, like, long since left town because of everything that follows. But uh, right. it's, it's just a very clumsy introduction. My wife and I were just like, who the fuck are these guys? Uh, and it's revealed that they are... Yeah, it's like, a, oh, thank God you're here. Like, <laughs> fucking improv. Yeah, so so the Tuies were the Palmer's next-door neighbours and Alice had been a babysitter for them for their two young children. And it's revealed that Brett was in the house trying to find a videotape of Alice having sex with, like, Brett and his wife. And it's a... Uh, there is another bizarre shot choice yeah. on the part of the filmmakers where, 
they interview a bunch of Alice's school friends at a swimming pool in bikinis while they talk about like, oh, we used to have like pool parties at the Tui's house. Uh, and no one thought this was fucking weird why this couple were just like having all these teens over and having pool parties. And That's... Did they have a kid themselves? Well, I guess they had a few kids, but they were quite younger, right? Yeah, so it was just like, hey, we've just invited our babysitter and all her friends over and, you know, to have a pool party. And it's... it's fucking weird. Yeah, it's it's weird in universe and it's like, it's a red flag to be like, you know, hey, like, it's fine for mm-hmm. these guys to like have the teenage daughter over to babysit but it's weird to be like hey bring all your friends around like that's odd yeah so inappropriate but it's also fucking bizarre on part of the filmmakers to be like yeah the the in-universe documentary makers would absolutely choose to film teenage girls in bikinis during this scene where they're talking about the reveal that their friend was like having a love affair with like grown adults next door like ew I haven't I have not thought about this and I'm not sort of I'm not gonna like accuse the people who made this film of anything but that is capitalized a choice yeah yeah and I don't like it like I like it feels like just overtly sexualizing young girls which I, I understand like how old is Alice supposed to be again? Like 16. So she's 16, technically able to consent, but power dynamics makes it gross, right? Even the most charitable reading of like, well, actually, like young girls can have like, like, you know, people who are able to legally consent can like be sexual beings. And it's like, this is not the time. That's weird to do, guys. If this were a real life documentary, people would be like, why didn't you just interview them at school? Or, like, why did they have to be interviewed yeah. at a pool? Like, fair enough. It, it like, is cross-cut with, like, party footage of, like, a pool party happening at the Tui's and, like, an otherwise innocent, like, conversation between, like, Alice and Brett now takes on a sinister tone because they're, like, sort of, you know, playfully shoving each other and stuff. And it's just like, oh, okay, no, this was, like, mm-hmm. th- there was something sinister going on. And, you know, this kind of, like, blow- bowls the community over that, like, you know, sweet Alice Palmer was... Look, it's it's tough to say as well, like, how all we see is, like, a little bit of the sex tape and it's all very blurry mm-hmm. and it's clearly, like, sort of Brett and his wife are kind of, like, on top. So it's hard to tell how consensual it was, but it is sort of implied that, like, Alice did consent to this. So it's sort of, you can tell the community is sort yeah. of bowled over by, like, oh, my God, like, did she, you know worst case scenario was this like rape or was Alice like into this which is also scandalous which again getting back to Twin Peaks with Laura Palmer like you know she's various types of relationships with various types of people with varying levels of consent there are definitely some where it's like okay actually this uh, relationship between Laura Palmer and this person that she had been sleeping with was fully consensual but then if you consider the power dynamics, like, um, there's one, there's Dr. Jacoby, who is her fucking, you know, psychiatrist. That's not okay. Even if it's consensual, quote unquote, it's not that simple. Like, it's not that simple when you consider power dynamics. So I, yeah, it's interesting. And it's interesting, the whole, like, she's filled with secrets and there are secrets happening around town. And it's like, there's this whole landscape to explore, which I think is uh, and this is kind of my overall thesis. I think it's fun and interesting to look at uh, existing dynamics and how, you know, the death of someone in that community can 
bring things out or impact these different relationships. But I think that this was like, I don't know if this was the movie to do that in. Like, I think old mate tried to stuff too much into this film and I don't know, just pick a few, you know, I think it would have just been a matter of like setting it up. It's like, Oh, it was a real shock. You know, she was a nice girl. She babysat the kids next door, but it just gets kind of like dropped that like, Oh yeah, by the way, she babysat the family next door. Uh, yeah, uh, now we just have this new character who's introduced solely to be like, oh, wow, Alice was having this, like, you know, somewhat this inappropriate relationship. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, what's his deal? Like, And it, very shortly after this, uh, the Tuies leave town and it's set up that, like, hey, because this is such a rape cases are so hard to, like, do anyway, you know, the police are just like, it's going to be too hard for you to te- press charges against the Tuies. And there's a moment where I thought like, oh, the Tuies have left town because they're being haunted. But like, no, it's just like, no, they just flee the community in disgrace. Nothing really. They're never brought up again. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very human response uh, caused by humans. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and it's at this point that the relationship between the Palmers and Ray the psychic sours because it's revealed uh, Ray has kept this secret the whole time that Alice had been his patient uh, for several months before her death at the dam. Yeah, you can't keep that. Yeah, that's uh, that's unethical. And uh, yeah, the family understandably have a falling out. Alice's therapy sessions uh, are shown at this point. Uh, that She does a very similar thing to her mum. Uh, by the way, I forgot to point this out that like Alice and her mum had a quite strange relationship. June said she had like no idea how to relate to her daughter. Oof. which which troubled me it's just like oh god like i i don't know this movie i'm glad i watched it now because if i watched it you know in 2008 i would have just been like huh that sucks you know watching as a parent now it's just like oh that's devastating like yeah i i might just like add something to that so when i was reading I'll, i'll give people context now um so my friend who let me use their Plex server to watch Lake Mungo. He had said that this is one of his favorite films and I didn't know this until we had a discussion after I watched it. But basically this is one of his favorite films. He watched it a few months after his own mother um, tragically died by a drowning accident, a sudden drowning accident as well. Oh. So no matter what my criticisms are, I know that this movie has like deeply um affected at least one person in a I would say like a positive way in like recognizing their own grief and feeling like they weren't alone in that grief and I think that's like really cool um but sorry getting back to um the whole so I'm reading through this big conversation we have because uh as I'll get to a bit later so many of us have experienced grief um I've never thankfully experience the death of like someone close to me drowning or anything like that um but you know my cousin was murdered in 2009 by her husband and that's totally just changed the trajectory of my life so I have a lot of weird complex feelings about grief and and all of that that all of that stuff but anyway um as it pertains to like the mum like feeling distant to her child I'll read what I said to my friend. So the mum mentions that she never fully gave herself her daughter, even though they're so alike. And I can actually relate to that a lot. My, I mean, it gets better with time, but my son and I are so, so alike. 
I I don't remember if do we get much background of the mum, like her own sort of background at all? That's a good point because it occurs to me that like we only really witness, you know, they seem to be a happyish family. The only hint yeah. we get that there's, you know, to sort of validate this, like, you know, I never really gave myself fully to Alice is like a scene where they're at like some sort of party and like June is sort of somewhat awkward physically with Alice. It's like she's about to hug her, but then she mm-hmm. sort of like sort of pats her on the shoulders, sort of like positions her. Like it's, it's, it's odd. It's like, you know, oh, okay. It sort of looked like you were going in for a hug. What the fuck was that? And also the, the grandma, Alice's grandmother, June's mother further affirms this, but yeah, we don't really see much other evidence for this other than this like somewhat awkward physical interaction. Yeah, and I think this is a movie that like people can project their own sort of feelings and meaning onto it, which I think can be good as well, right? But like, yeah, that really like hurt because like the mum is relaying about how much guilt she feels about having sort of never given herself fully to her child. And I remember like it's still it it's very minor now, but ever since day dot, like I felt so terrified of this deep love for my child and uh, how similar we are that I definitely had always kept something distant. And I think it's still there and it's something I'm working on, but just this tiny bit of this movie, like it's just kind of like a passing thing that like was like a punch in the gut. No, no, that's a really lovely moment as well. Like, and yeah, this movie, you know, really stirred me in my own, in my own exploration of parenthood. Just talking about now, it made me think that like, I have tried to be my most genuine self with my children. And particularly now, sorry, we are becoming a parenting podcast briefly during our Halloween episode. How fun. Um, (laughs) Yeah, my, my daughter is really starting to be aware of things and communicate and you know we are having like involved conversations now and it occurred to me like okay this is when she is really going to start to get an impression of me and who I am so I am trying my (laughs) darndest to be my most authentic self with her like flaws and all yeah I don't know if she's particularly like me or my wife or anything like that but it also reminds me of a quote from the Punta Vista parenting discord uh, where I think it was Flashman who said, "Why can't my children embody all my best traits and none of my none of my personal flaws?" Yes, yes. <laughs> I hear that, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that that ugh, that can feel pretty brutal. Being like, "No, I'm so sorry," <laughs> but yeah, so I I found that interesting. Um, something about the way that this house, sorry, that this film is shot. Um, I'm just reading now, like, my friend is saying something that really impacted them. Every shot in this movie of the empty house at night, just panning over a staircase or a kitchen that feels inexplicably ominous, just absolutely nails the feeling of the loneliness, the darkness. It's the same house, but also not at all the same house anymore. Once, you know, you've lost a loved one that lived there with you. And I am so grateful that I've never experienced that, but, um... Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, I've got goosebumps now because it's like, yeah, that's something I'm thankfully I've never had to experience, but I, uh, I could see how it, impactful it would be to see that um, and painful. And we'll talk about it sort of when we kind of give our final thoughts. But um, I guess I should say now, like a huge part of 
this film is like place and grief are like the two sort of themes, like how those two are connected, sort of like, yeah. Yeah, that and also like how we remember, because like the movie also has this big exploration of like, you know, the physical media, the photographs, and now, you know, the fairly modern invention of like home video. And, you know, now it's incredibly common, like, God, it'd almost be worth like remaking this movie like now that like cell phone cameras and mm. you know blogs and you know video blogs smart are so, homes smart homes are so ubiquitous oh my goodness like you could we have like several drives full of i think we have something like over eight thousand photos of my daughter jesus yeah that we can just like look at at any given time because like all the family members who regularly interact with her like have a have a google drive account it's all synced all syncs automatically yeah uh so i have to be careful of like how i'm dressed in photos with my daughter in the morning it's just like hey um yes (laughs) is my bathrobe open and my you know mother-in-law is going to see just like my whole ass nude body (laughs) children do not like boundaries (laughs) no no they do not so we've gotten where are we in the plot now they've just had the sort of fallout with ray after finding out that oh yes yes. alice has been having like horrible nightmares she hasn't really been telling anyone what's going on and it all kind of stemmed from this uh trip to this camping trip to lake mungo and in fact her boyfriend is the one who says like hey here's a a cell phone video of like us goofing off at lake mungo where Alice looks like notably distressed. She's not like running around and hurting. Mm. She looks like, you know, worried. So the family make the decision to go to Lake Mungo to investigate. Amongst the cell phone's footage, there's a scene where Alice is shown burying, burying something under a tree. Mm-hmm. They go to Lake Mungo, which is this, not actually a lake. It's like a prehistoric series of lake. You know, it used to be a lake and is now just like a series of like almost little canyons, would you say? Right, right. So it had been... Right, it had been um, underwater at some point. So they go to where uh, Alice is shown. And at this point, <laughs> at this point in the viewing, like I paused because I needed to go to the bathroom and my wife was just like, why can't you wait? Why are you going to the bathroom now? At this point, there were only like, I feel 15 minutes left in the movie. And I was just like, <laughs> oh yeah. Because it's a ghost movie and they're going to the titular Lake Mungo where Alice clearly saw something fucked up. I'm going to the bathroom now. I don't want to piss myself. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to piss myself. Uh, so they get to Lake Mungo. And uh, once again, Lake Mungo is really pretty. It is this like very, mm-hmm. all the shots in this film have this like eerily, eerily beautiful quality, which, you know, if you had to create a visual element for this podcast, it would be that. Like, it's certainly what I tried to capture with our thumbnail art. Yeah. And uh, they find the base of the tree and they dig up like a cell phone. They dig up some of her jewelry. It was very clearly like she was, almost like disposing of these possessions and sort of like, uh, yes, I am done with these kind of way. And they boot up the phone and they see what Alice saw at Lake Mungo. And this is the really well done jump scare in this movie. She sees her dead body coming at her out of the darkness. Uh, that would send me insane. Don't know about you, Lucas. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> this is interesting because it's like they kind of come to learn that she was sort of she knew that she was going to die, right? Yeah, it's it's also, it's at this point that I thought like, oh, okay, you know, not necessarily a ghost. She's, she's unstuck in time. Mm. She had this apparition of herself and knew she was going to die, like you've said. It is the corpse we see at the start of the film with like the bloated, you know, fucked up face. This, this weirdly enough, gives them closure. Like as, as horrifying as it is, they sort of... 
this is where the film kind of like winds down. They were just like, oh, okay, Alice very clearly, you know, knew she was going to die at some point. So like, I don't know, this is almost like a closed circle. Oh, which feels weird and probably like I imagine, I can't help but feel like, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have ended like that if it was like a series or something. This part, I, I even said it to my friend looking through my notes. I'm like, there's no way they could have known all the details of like Twin Peaks. And obviously like, there's only so many beats that you can have when kind of telling this very particular type of story. But like you find out in Twin Peaks, The Return, the most like recent series that Laura Palmer has like definitely seen herself where the other version is like, I can't remember if it's her or a doppelganger, but like in a different time, like, uh, like, you know, she shouldn't be there sort of thing. I, I feel like I vaguely remember, I don't know if it's in the film Fire Walk With Me, um, that's like related to Twin Peaks or if it was like the diary of Laura Palmer, but like she definitely like knows that she is going to die or something really, like she's going to be killed or something bad's going to happen to her. And a lot of her actions are sort of like, influenced by that in in you know her final days and that sort of thing and I find that interesting and, and I like that like I think that that's a really like that can be quite emotional and stuff like that and you know what do people do when they like have some sort of knowledge that they're gonna die whether if it's supernatural or you know they know that they're I don't know if they're terminally ill or whatever but yeah that's a weird thing that that was the thing that was closure because excuse the fuck me your daughter saw a doppelganger and you're like, oh yeah, well that makes sense. Okay. The movie does a good job in that I, I don't know what it was through either dialogue, you know, through dialogue or whatever, they were just like, the family just like, oh okay, you know, this is clearly our our daughter's spirit wanting to reach out to us and sh- show us who she really was and what she had seen. But yeah, like it's only now yeah. that I realize that like, wait a minute, your daughter saw a fucking ghost. Like, aren't you freaked out? Like, oh shit. Maybe after some time I could do that reflection of like, oh, look, we can get some closure because we now know all of what happened. Straight away though, I'd be freaking the fuck out. Yeah, it's like, holy shit, ghosts are actually real and, you know, can can kill you in a fashion. Like, you know, could sort of like show uh-huh. you how you're going to die. Like, you know, this is... Like, I'd take this as, like, malevolent ghosts haunted my kid until she died. What the fuck? I'm out of here. Which they do, but not for the whole, not for, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, there's a ghost, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. At this, yeah, it's at this point that they've decided that, like, okay, you know, we've made peace. The the haunting is over. Alice is gone now. We need to start over and move out of our house. You can tell that the family are, like, you know, have now since, like, moved on and they are all kind of, like, you know, they're all, you know, grief doesn't end it doesn't go away it comes in tides and you get the sense that they are like okay it's like now quite a faded thing for them yeah yeah my own experience of grief like my father died basically 10 years ago this year actually spooky oh i had no idea i'm so sorry no no it's all right like i i saw the facebook post the other day and i was just i think it was like july or september or something like that i remember being like huh that's odd but it's, uh, yeah, it's it's strange. Like, we had a strained relationship, so it was quite a, you know, complicated uh, type of grief. Uh, it's always different. It always yeah. comes on hard, whether it's, like, you know, because, you know, just shortly after my father died, like, a kid I went to school with, like, drowned very tragically. And, you know, I was talking Ugh. to, like, one of his friends, and he was just like, oh, well, you've gone through this already. And it's just like, 
Yeah, it, it's it's different. Like you know, a, a young, a healthy young man with a beautiful fiance, you know, dying of an accident very suddenly is very different to like you know, an old guy struggling with like depression, you know, uh, getting drunk and falling down the stairs. Like that's that's kind oh, of. I'm so sorry. Yeah, like they're they're different kind of things. Like you know, I think the former is much sadder to an extent. Uh, but yeah, like grief. They're just different as well. Yeah. Like they're just different. I don't think any two kind of losses are the same. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, grief will be with you forever. It'll like come in waves. It like steadily dies down over time as well. And also I think you, you fill that gap in your life, you know, certainly in the time since then, like, you know, I'm married, I have kids now, I've made a bunch of new friends. Like, you know, you fill up that space within yourself. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of, you know, what grief is. It's sort of an absence. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what's happened to the Palmers. And there's this, uh, I'll give the movie, like for a movie that claims to not be a horror movie, there's, you know, this wonderful recurring shot of the Palmers on their front lawn as they're about to leave. They've like cleared out the house. We get this like wonderful eerie sequence of like the totally empty house, including like Alice's room, like totally empty they're on the front lawn, they're all smiling, and there's something in the window. There is like this patch yeah. of fog and the camera zooms in on it. And look, in, in earlier shots, because I've seen publicity shots where there's nothing there, so they've very clearly like, right. you know, done it twice or like, you know, done double exposure to like add, add the apparition later on for this shot. But it mm-hmm. is still very effective. The movie ends with like them driving away from the house, and it's at this point the movie does the like, hey, there was Alice in the during the birthday party. There was Alice during the seance. There was Alice during the hallway scene. I think she actually was there this whole time. (laughs) Yeah, and and once again, I was like, okay, that is very cool. I probably like unconsciously saw her. There is a legit fucking terrifying uh, British horror TV special called Ghost Watch. Oh. It's very well done. It's so fucking scary. It ends with, just to give you an idea of how fucking silly Ghostwatch sounds, it ends with Michael Parkinson getting possessed by a ghost and like sort of speaking in a demon voice and it's fucking horrifying. Like it's... <laughs> oh, jeez. Sorry, the point I was going to make is that uh, that also featured shots of the ghost where you go back and look at it. It's just like, oh, there was the ghost, you know, at the side of the stage. There was the ghost in the curtains. Like, almost by watching this, we are performing a seance for this ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before I kind of touch on, like, the feelings about grief and place, um, it just reminded me of something my friend said about the whole, uh, when the brother, it was found out that the brother was doing, like, a hoax. My friend mentioned how much they love that the hoax that the brother did, thematically all the fake ghosts are literal reflections of their memories of Alice. I thought that that was really, my friend was like, I don't know if that's an intentional metaphor, but to them that was like really, really big. It's like seeing these things and thinking it's a ghost, but actually it's quite literally your own memories um, looking back at you. But um, obviously someone's manipulating that. I cried a lot and I think this is why I... For, for many reasons, I think this is why I was like, okay, I, I like this movie. There's a lot of things being brought up for me and I like sort of forgot how I felt about the movie. So talking about ugh, 
talking about place and grief and, you know, sites of death and stuff like that, I, I, I personally finished this movie being so happy that the family could move forward and continue their life in, you know, changed, but in a, you know, they could continue. And then I was devastated because, you know, you find out that, oh no, she was there and now she's being left behind. And it's like, you know, no matter how long it's been, um, you know, the death of my cousin being like the most sort of traumatic and ongoing kind of grief that I have. Um, there's always this pang of guilt I have if I f- realize I haven't thought about her or like actively cried about her and the thought of leaving a place and my loved one being left behind is like gut-wrenching. But I also think I have a lot of feelings about um I have a lot of feelings about it the house not being a source of like closure in and of itself in the film so like the brother tries to bring about closure with this hoax and they're sort of it feels like they want to leave the house but they can't and like it's like they need to sort of figure something out before they leave right and it's like it I it just brings back feelings of you know I in the early years after my cousin was murdered I she was murdered at her um at her parents house where she was living at the time after having left her husband and uh that's where yeah that's where she was murdered and uh they her parents never went back to the house and I think that that was definitely the right thing for them to do and they sold the house it's the house that I always had known them to live in and I only lived like maybe 10 minutes away from it and in the early years sometimes I would like drive in and and just park in front of the house and like look at it as if and like you know I can still bring up the image in my mind's eye um of seeing that front yard and seeing the evidence like the yellow evidence markers seeing the forensic officers in their um in their you know personal protective equipment and everything um the day after she was murdered and like uh sorry for rambling but like um i i witnessed them trying to resolve this thing in their capacity and yet years later I was still parked out the front of that house and like just staring at it hoping that there would be some sort of revelation or something um, that would make it make sense uh, but unfortunately just like accidental drowning uh, homicide you know you know you can know how it happened what led to it but like it doesn't make sense like it just you're never going to make sense of it you have to as you were saying with grief you you just have to find you have to acknowledge that it's always going to be with you and it just it might fluctuate in size 
and uh, you fill you fill that void with other things and you move forward but you never solve it you like it's never I think the word closure is I don't I don't think there's closure and I think that that is ultimately what I get from this film and I I appreciate it um and I think that's something as well like the Babadook as well like obviously it's not necessarily about closure it's about sort of you know grief ballooning and feeding that grief and you know all that sort of thing but I think both movies if if people are looking for some some media to like you know maybe get them thinking about their own experiences of grief I do actually recommend Lake Mungo um anyway thank you for listening Oh, sorry. You just reminded me there is like one extra tragic bit of the film where in the sessions with Ray, like, you know, you tap onto something by saying like, you know, that they're in a sense, you know, it fe- there's a worry that they're leaving Alice behind. Uh, Alice says in her sessions, she basically does the same like hypnotized walking through the house sessions. And you see that it intercuts, you know, it fits perfectly with like her mum, you know, feeling like there's something at the end of the bed. It's like, no, I'm standing at the end of the bed. I'm calling to my mum, but she can't see me. It's it's really Ugh. it's really sad, but at the same time, like you know, it's it's not really true. They are aware of each other. Like it's you know, they can't see each other directly. Like in a, I don't know, I'm I'm choosing to view like a a happy version of it as well. And maybe that's naive of me. Yeah. You know, I heard that and was like devastated of course because like i'm a parent and it's just like the idea of my children like not being able to see them is like you know horrifying to me um gut-wrenching yeah so so yeah this movie this movie probably it's really different now that i'm a parent uh but yeah i'm i am choosing to view that as kind of a nice thing like no 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 they were reaching out for each other they were close they just couldn't necessarily see each other yeah, I really fucked up and picked, like, a sad good movie for Halloween. Yeah. Fuck sakes. Next year we're going to do Body Melt. I don't know. I'm going to pick some fucking trash. I love Body Melt. Yes. I, I haven't seen it. I, I missed the Neverworld screening, and uh, my wife is not going to want to. Nicola will not want to watch Body Melt. That's okay. That's okay. We, we can watch it. It'll be fun. <laughs> But, uh, but Josie, thank you. I, once again, like when you tweeted about this and I realized like, ah, shit, (laughs) is this episode, you know, I, I thought like fun ghost movie, but I was just like, then I watched it and I was just like, oh no, this is, this is actually like a really lovely, like well done exploration of grief. God damn it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really unexpected. And I'm sure you've got more thoughts, but I am curious and I want to know if you know why it is impossible to find this movie in Australia for some reason. I could not stream it. Yeah, I I had to, I downloaded it from the internet archive. Um, I'm sorry, everyone. I exhausted every option. Uh, it was, it's a, you can get it in America. You can get it on all the American streaming platforms. Like the only other alternative was like, I get a VPN and like pretend I'm in the fucking UK to use Amazon TV or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, this movie isn't available anywhere. And it's also like, I'm a horror movie guy. And whilst, you know, in 2008, I was doing my final year of uni and my first job on like a TV show. Uh, So I was real fucking busy. I was also like in a relationship at the time. So I, there's a chance I missed it, but there was just like 
nothing about this movie coming out. Uh, it was only really like years later, like horror movie YouTube video people were like, you know, hey, fucking Lake Mungo, this Australian horror movie. And I'm just like, I've never heard of this. What the fuck? You're right to point out that uh, even though this was like a real this era was a real boom in Australian horror. Like, you know, Wolf Creek came out in 2004, Undead came out in 2003. There was this wave of like very well-made, very low budget uh, Australian horror movies that just fucking cleaned up overseas, but got like fuck all distribution in Australia. And it's long been cited as a problem in Australian cinema that we do really good genre cinema. We do really good like horror in particular. And it just doesn't, they all get support from screen funding bodies, but just maybe it's just that cinema chains just don't fucking carry them. Like you may, they maybe get a run at like indie cinemas and unless they really blow up, like say a Wolf Creek, uh, they just don't get the support they needed. And we find out about them like three years later down the road from, from American audiences. It's so weird, but you know what's also you know what's also weird and I think it's I mean I know it's not the same and that it was for different reasons but it's so weird how also like Wake and Fright was this like really good film that did poorly in Australia in terms of like the reception I guess that was that's kind of different is that like it was received poorly by Australians and that might be why it wasn't like like it didn't do particularly well and then it was like you know quote unquote lost for all these years and then finally made a resurgence sort of thing yeah australian cinema is fucking weird yeah it's it's so weird and like you said you know there was there was like a bit of a culture backlash or a bit of a a bit of a, a portrait of dorian gray moment for australians watching wake and fright at the time just being like oh that's not me that's not me yeah yeah it's it's odd that yeah these challenging but very well made movies or like okay it's horror sometimes it's not well made sometimes it's fucking slop but you know it's it's fun slop sometimes yeah sometimes slop is valid oh i can't remember the one that's set in a shopping center that gets flooded and it's full of sharks uh uh bait bait was so what bait i think actually got decently screened um that sounds badass yeah yeah check out bait it's fucking bonkers it's it's got a bunch of the actresses from H2O just add water. Amazing. Like doing a very much like look at us, we're in a gory movie where one of us gets like fucking chewed in half by a great white. You know, look, uh, I, I love I love sharks. I know that these movies, you know, can be damaging and but you know, you just gotta remember that like movie sharks uh, do not behave like real sharks at all. Sometimes it's fun to have a big fucking shark movie. Not often found in shopping centers. Yeah, no, no, not often found in flooded shopping centers, but probably more so given climate change. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh <laughs> that that's one argument for trying to mitigate climate change, folks, is uh keep sharks out of shopping centers you do not want to end up in the movie bait along with phoebe tonkins and the other one from h2o <laughs> just had water whose name escapes me less than ideal <laughs> uh but uh, but yeah like uh horror movies horror movie productions are often fairly low budget in fact that was my only complaint about like hellraiser it was so fucking dark because you know horror movies are meant to be dark you can like cheap out on lighting a little bit mm. uh, you still need to I do it well yeah uh <laughs> yeah i want to see the fucked up cenobites Please. Yes. They're so well designed. Yes, exactly. These productions are often great training grounds, like, you know, for all levels of the craft, like actors included as well. You know, in the case of, you know, when they're successful, like, fuck knows how much money Wolf Creek has made, but it probably didn't cost all that much to produce. Mm -mm. Like, mm -hmm. 
I I think that this movie I think the more I talk about it the more I've come around to like just generally liking it but I do think this is one that I'm like oh I wish this path like these people just had unlimited budget and time like I want to explore what's there but again I, I guess this is this is also a theme coming through is that sometimes there's not closure and you just like the bruises on old mate's skin you just gotta let it go <laughs> yep yep uh, on that subject, yeah, the writer and director Joel Anderson has not made another film, which is a shame. Oh. Yeah, it's it's weird because this movie, like, look, this movie was probably like a sleeper hit and has gained an audience over time. Mm-hmm. Now almost like, what, 14 years old. <laughs> but I agree with your point that, like, yeah, a low budget does make you creative and force you to come up with, like, novel solutions. Like, maybe it's good that Joel Anderson wasn't given an infinite budget and, you know, hasn't made his version of Zardoz. But also... Yeah, no, I, I'm both glad because, like, I think that's where all the creative, like, shots and and forms of media came in. But I'm like, oh, I don't know. I would I'd watch maybe a Lake Mungo two if it was like. Well, I don't know. I don't know how it would be done, but maybe not the same family, but like whatever spookiness, uh, caused um Alice to see her like dead body. What what's the go there? <laughs> Look, I don't know, it, it, it's it's right material and again, maybe this is just because I'm fresh off like the new Hellraiser movie and, <laughs> you know, it, it takes a lot of the elements of the Hellraiser, Hellbound heart and does something entirely new. There's none of the characters from the original movies. Uh, you could make a Lake Mungo TV series and like, because oh, technology yeah. in the 14 years since it came out, I love horror stories involving technology. Uh, yeah, you know, your paranormal activities, your... What was the Japanese one where it's like ghosts in the internet? Ooh, sounds cool. God, what is it again? Oh, fuck, it's going to come to me. If you know the movie I'm talking about, please hoot and holler at me there's because probably... uh, I will feel very silly. <laughs> there's going to be at least one person being like, blah, blah, like yelling out what it is and just being so <laughs> frustrated. We're giving you express permission to... to tell us just like you told us how it was the movie was called what we call it toy soldiers or something like that <laughs> small, something small like soldiers this. it's small yeah <laughs> well yeah i don't know i i think you could make uh using you know just like social media and stuff like that and you know the ubiquity of smartphones and smart mm-hmm. homes that probably hasn't been there's definitely been attempts to make like a ghost movie involving, you know, that technology and the ubiquity of that technology. I've yet to see a properly really good one. Yeah. If you have seen a good one, please tell me about it because I'd love to fucking see it. But I don't know, you could, uh, Joel Anderson, you could probably, probably get Netflix to like, you know, pick this up as a series. Yeah. Um. Well, Josie, have you got, have you got anything else? No, I think, I think that's everything. I'll probably remember other shit, but, um, if so, I'll I'll write it in the thread when you post this, or I'll we can chat about it on Discord if you want to join our Discord. Yeah, no, that's it. What about you, Lucas? No, no, that's it. Um, yeah, I I'm sorry I didn't pick like a funnier, sillier horror movie for our first Halloween episode instead of a really serious one. Um, I'm actually concerned about that because our our next uh, full episode, our next free episode is going to be on the Satanic Panic, <laughs> and uh, look, that's look that is that. Parts of that are going to be challenging. I found parts of it challenging to research. Uh, uh, there was there was probably not any satanic ritual abuse. Do not interpret me saying it's challenging as any sort of hint that that may have happened. Uh, but 
Yeah, so that's going to be sort of like, we're going to try and have fun with that, but that is going to be a tough episode. Then we have the Cryptids episode, which is going to be fun. Yeah. That is going to be unironically fun. And then our bonus episode is going to be on Rosalind Norton, and that is going to be so much fun. She she fucking ruled. Awesome. I can't wait. I know nothing about the broad. Yeah, yeah. I have I have not found anything probo. She seems, she, she, she seems legit cool. But uh, yeah, thank you for joining. Is she dead? Sorry? Is she dead? Oh, yeah, she's dead. She's been dead oh, for well, years. Oh, we can't. She's already been cancelled by, like, I don't know, God. So, <laughs> it's not much we can do. Um, but, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on again on my podcast that I co-host with you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming to your podcast. Thank you for joining us for our first <laughs> Halloween episode. Bye. Bye. Hi everyone, thanks again for listening. I know that got a little bit bleak at points, but isn't that just the Australian Gothic way? Uh, if you enjoyed the show, you can follow us on Twitter at OzGothicPod. You can follow me at Luxasm and Josie at JSSPCR1. And you can support the show on Patreon at Australian Gothic Podcast on Patreon. Uh, thanks again. Love you. Love you.